So uh, Susan, your dog <laughs> came and sat and looked right in the camera like, I'm ready. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> they say never let dogs or animals or small children get on the screen because they'll steal the show. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So welcome everyone. Uh, good to be here with you. As Sina mentioned, we're here for Seven Steps to Awakening and Out of the Stillness. And we're beginning today with quote 188. 188. <clears throat> and so I'll read from Out of the Stillness first. At the end of the world cycle, all these objects of perception cease to be. The one self, which is consciousness alone, remains. And this is indescribable, being beyond thought and description. Only the sage of self-knowledge experiences this. Others merely read these words. I think I was listening to David Godman yesterday while I was at his name while I was walking. Um, he's someone who lived near Ramana Ashram for a, a large number of years after Ramana was gone, of course. I think he moved there in the 70s, but of course, really um, went deep into Ramana's teachings. I think he also spent a lot of time with Papaji. And when I was listening to him, he was talking about how. Uh, Ramana was clear that when you awaken to the self or when you awaken to truth or to reality, that it is beyond description. Um, and I like to listen to that because I think the ego likes to think that it's awake before it is, right? So um, I really like to listen to the teachers like Ramana Maharshi. Of course, Bernadette Roberts is a favorite of mine. Um, teachers who are very, very, very clear. Uh, David Hawkins is another one, which I know Anne has been paying attention to lately. Very, very, very clear that when you truly awaken, it is nothing like this experience, right? Nothing at all. Uh, a Course in Miracles, as you know, refers to the real world, uh, which is kind of like an awakening compared to the world of false perception. But A Course in Miracles is also very clear that the real world is still a dream, right? That it's a, it's a bridge. Uh, so, you know, you could say maybe that's awakening with a little a. Uh, but awakening with a capital A is something else entirely. And um, because self-honesty has always been so important to me, uh, having a gauge like this so that I don't delude myself is also very important to me, right? Um, that if, if, the, if the experience is not so incredibly different, just completely, completely different in no way, uh, the same, in no way the same as my perception before, then although awakening may be occurring and perception may be moving from a false perception to a truer perception, uh, awakening hasn't actually occurred, right? It just hasn't. Um, and this again, as you guys know, is really what my retirement is about. You know, I don't know for a fact um, that the attention I'm putting on my spiritual path will result in this lifetime on that final awakening. I don't know that. Uh, but there's a, enough of a calling. It's interesting enough to me that that's what I want to do with my time. Right? That that's what I want to do with my time. You know, as you guys know, I have uh, divided my day into three eight-hour periods. Uh, but like today, I mean, you can probably tell my hair is not quite dry yet. You know, like I was pushing that morning section as late as possible. And finally, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get up and take a shower because I'm teaching at one, you know? But I mean, it's not like, it's not like um, 
I'm sitting in that morning period thinking, when is this over? I really would like to be doing this. I really would like to be doing that. It's the opposite. It's that, you know, when, when the morning time is over, when my morning eight hour period is over and I do need to get up and move on to other things, it is somewhat with a heavy heart. Right, I know it's the right thing to do. Um, but what I'm really called to do is to spend that time in devotion. And again, just to be clear, so I, I, I don't want to mislead anyone. You know, when I say eight hours, you know, it's not eight hours of meditation. Um, it's there's contemplation and meditation. By the way, my meditation is getting longer. So Ellie's walk is shifting to later, too. And she's kind of funny because. Um, she's always been very patient when I meditated. My previous dog, Jamie, wasn't. Jamie would sniff me, paw at me, bark. The last two mornings when my meditations have been longer, Ellie has started doing that. She barked yesterday. She barked today. Uh, she, she's come up and sniffed me. Today, she rubbed her body up against me. It's like, come on already. Uh, but I'm just ignoring her and <laughs> continuing to meditate. But the meditation is getting longer, which means uh, her walk is, is getting pushed out later. But I do contemplate, meditate, walk the dog. So that's a part of the eight hours. And the walk is usually an hour walk. I'm usually listening to you all when I walk, listening to audios from the sanctuary. Come back, eat breakfast, which doesn't take long, 15 minutes, then back into contemplation. Uh, and then typically 1130-ish, I will either stay in contemplation or I might quit and do a little exercise in the gym. But by 12, I got to be hitting the shower, having lunch and being ready at one. So it's not eight hours of, of meditation and contemplation, but you can see there's a, you know, it, it's, it's the necessary activities of the morning and meditation and contemplation. That's, that's what it looks like. Uh, and, uh, and it's wonderful. And I love it. Um, so let me just read this quote again. At the end of the world cycle, all these objects of perception cease to be. That's a very clear sentence. Don't you think? All People may not want to believe that very clear sentence, but there's no mincing of words here. Perception ceases to be. At the end of the world cycle, all these objects of perception cease to be. The one self, which is consciousness alone, remains. And this is indescribable, beyond thought and description. Only the sage of self-knowledge experiences this. Others merely read these words. And again, that has my interest, it has my attention, it has my desire, and this is why I love spending my days the way I do. Um, so let's go see what I wrote. Just to remind you all, when I wrote this was probably, uh, no, most certainly in 2012. So we're talking 11 years ago, right? <laughs> took me a long time to, to go through the seven steps. Number 188. If it is understood that mind includes all thought, mental images, physical and non-physical manifestations, perceptions, and interpretations, then one may have to admit, all I experience is mind. Everything I experience fits into one of the categories of mind. When it is seen that mind is all that is experienced, false pride is put aside. Humility returns. When it is seen that mind is all that is experienced, one realizes how blind one is and how much guidance is needed. With this realization, one is ready to be a true surrendered follower. This may feel like a step back from the false pride of achievement that existed before, but it is a step forward from delusion into honest self-assessment. 
And I think the reason that this was written the way it was, even though you've already heard my heart, that I do not want to be deluded. I'm grateful for descriptions like this. Um, what was really happening in the early part of 2012 was I was associating with enlightened people. Um, I felt pressure around them. I started to say they were pressuring me, but that's, you know, whatever they were saying, I felt the pressure, right? So I felt pressure around them to just drop this I'm not awake stuff and declare myself awake. And this is what they had all done. Um, and this was causing me mental suffering at the time. Uh, this was a confusion for me at the time. Uh, I'm just looking at what all do I want to say about this? I mean, uh, as I mentioned, they, they were a group of people who all declared themselves enlightened. They welcomed me into the group because they perceived me that way, but they wanted me to make the same declaration. And I didn't because I didn't want to lie to myself. Um, and I think that when I got to this quote, I felt some relief from that pressure. Like I felt some relief <clears throat> that I was making the right decision. Um, and so I'm sure that this is why it's written into my journal in the way that it is. Uh, let me grab my journal from this morning. It seems like there's something in here this morning that was kind of related to what I just read. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, I, I, what I what I was contemplating before actually isn't written down. So I can't go back and read. So, you know, some of the contemplation gets written down. Some of the contemplation doesn't. Uh, and I don't even, you know, it's so funny how poor my memory is. I don't even remember what got me onto this contemplation. Um, but what I was contemplating was, again, what I want is no ego, what some people call the death of the ego. Uh, certainly there are teachers out there that say it isn't possible. Um, but then there are teachers who say it is. And I've made the choice to listen to the teachers who say it is possible. I think that if I, I think I could be wrong. So you guys choose whether you want to listen to me or not. You, everyone gets to make their own decisions here. That's what's beautiful about it, right? <laughs> but I feel that if I choose to listen to the teachers who say it's not possible, the ego doesn't die. You just learn not to listen to it anymore, right? Which I have already done. I feel like if I listen to those teachers, I will sell myself short. Um, I'm reminded of third grade on field day when I was trying to do the long jump. <clears throat> and I don't know if I was getting frustrated or what, but somehow my teacher knew that I, I in my own mind was not being successful. And so she came over to me and she asked me what I was trying to do. And I told her I, I wanted to long jump to, th to three feet. And she said, well, where are your eyes? I said, well, three feet. And she said, if you want a long jump to three feet, you have to look at four feet. You know, I've never forgotten that lesson. Um, so again, if I, if, if, if I say that the, the goal is just to not believe the ego anymore, but the ego never dies, somehow it, that feels like, you know, that jump in the sand where I wasn't getting to where I wanted to be. So I listened to the teachers who say there is such a thing as ego death. Some don't want to do that. Maybe they're afraid. But I was contemplating this this morning. I was contemplating ego death. And again, I can't tell you where my contemplation went. It went quite deep. But it went to this point in, in, in the depth where I saw clear as day um, that there's no way to know how to do that. 
none of us can plan the journey to ego death because we've never done it before. You know, there's just no way to know how to do that. And so after hitting that realization, I wrote this. I ask for guidance every step of the way. I can't possibly know what to do because I've never been this way before. I need guidance. You know, just that complete surrender. There's just, there's just no way that I know, you know, what to do with my eight hours per day or, or the rest of the time either. You know, I, I need to be guided in every moment, you know, exactly, you know, am I to be contemplating now? Am I to be meditating now? Am I to be listening to an audio now? Am I to be reading a particular book now? Am I to be, because I don't know. There's no way I could know. I've never done this before. So again, something in this reminded me of that from this morning. So let's read this again and see if we can find it. Number 188. If it is understood that mind includes all thought, mental images, physical and non-physical manifestations, perceptions and interpretations, <laughs> then one may have to admit all I experience is mind. Everything I experience fits into one of the categories of mind. When it is seen that mind is all that is experienced, false pride is put aside. Humility returns. When it is seen that mind is all that is experienced, one realizes how blind one is and how much guidance is needed. With this realization, one is ready to be a true surrendered follower. This may feel like a step back from the false pride of achievement that existed before, but it is a step forward from delusion into honest self-assessment. So that is 188. And so next we're moving to 191. And in the seven steps to awakening, it says, since he had not engaged himself in the persistent practice of the teachings, his heart was not fully established in the supreme state. I wonder who we're talking about. <laughs> you know, it sounds like since he had not engaged himself in the persistent practice of the teachings, his heart was not fully established in the supreme state. It's, it sounds like that selling yourself short thing, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like they're talking about somebody who sold himself short. All right, so let's look at uh, my journal and see what I wrote as I contemplated that. <clears throat> one does best when one sees himself as the beginner as the student without imagining any advancement or achievement until the one who could be student or teacher, advanced or beginning, achieved or just starting out has been completely obliterated. And I think I've said enough already that that's pretty clear what's meant here. Um, as you guys know, I, I love being the student. Um, although, you know, there are certainly people that would not like these words that want to come out of my mouth now. They do want to come and they haven't gone away. So I will, I will say them. I love being nothing. You know, it, it, some people may not like those words, but I love being nothing. You know, it's the mind that creates whatever self-image it creates. And there's a feeling of something in whatever that is, whether that's I'm advanced or whether that's I'm a loser, I'll never be advanced. You know, it doesn't matter. It's a thing. 
right? The mind creates the thing, the self-image. But when there's a deepening into devotion or a deepening into meditation, there's this point where the self-image is non-existent, at least temporarily. And therefore, we're nothing. And that's a very beautiful nothing, right? So I love being nothing. And the only way that I have found to get to that nothingness is the path of the student, not the path of the teacher, not the path of the one who knows. It's the path of one who does not know. And so I must be led, right? It's that deep, deep surrender that brings us to that beautiful, sweet nothing. So again, from the journal, one does best when one sees himself as the beginner, as the student, without imagining any advancement or achievement until the one who could be student or teacher, advanced or beginning, achieved or just starting out, has been completely obliterated. <laughs> Again, people may not like that word either, but that's just tough. <laughs> so um, I don't think there's much more to say about that one. Let's move on to 194. Ooh, we're almost done. Oh, no, we're not almost done with step one. We're almost done with whoever we're reading. Um, 194. That supreme state is beyond all concepts. We're getting a, a fairly consistent message here today. That supreme state is beyond all concepts. So again, going to the journal. <laughs> My dog is snoring. She doesn't find this very interesting. <laughs> How does God see? Not at all in the way a person sees. A person who imagines God's vision is mistaken, always. Let the person go entirely. Be brave enough not to be a person. As God only, know how God sees. Again, a very consistent message, just being expressed a little differently. But what you see here is my heart to go all the way, right? Again, I, I don't know that I will. And if I don't, that's okay. But I can't help but put my attention in that direction. It's my heart. You know, if my heart was to play golf with my retirement, then that's what I would do, right? Um, I mean, what else is one supposed to do with a retirement? But whatever the heck you want to do, right? Isn't that what retirement is all about? You know, those obligations are now in the rearview mirror. It's so funny. I think I threw it away. But this morning I was guided to pull out some of my old journals and read some of my old journals. And 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 it was it was a wonderful experience. In fact, something in my old journals is what led to the contemplation I just told you about. But one of my old journals, uh probably written around 2014, I'm guessing, so I was president minister of Awakening Together, was all about the burden of being too busy and trying and looking at that idea of being too busy, right? Well, that's in my rearview mirror now. And unless I create my own problem, there's no reason for that to come back, right? I don't have a job nobody's paying me. I do volunteer stuff, but guess what? I get to say, but I said last night to Sean and Kevin, I said, I should have this done by the end of February. Notice I didn't say by next week. There's a reason for that. <laughs> I knew I could get it done by the end of February without creating a burden on my time. If I had committed to next week, I would have had to cut into my morning eight hours to get it done. And I'm not doing that anymore. Shauna, you're not paying me, right? No, she's not paying me. <laughs> so all that stuff that was in my journal about how busy I was and all of that, which I did a good job of looking at it. I really did. But I threw it away because I knew I didn't need that anymore, that that is the past. 
Uh, some of the journal stuff I chose to keep because it was actually still valid. And I thought it was worth keeping because maybe I'll want to read it again someday. As you all know, I read my journals over and over again. Um, so with my retirement, again, what I'm doing with my retirement, in addition to, you know, I do have some worldly stuff that I'm committed to, you know, just as a part of life. But I want to know, how does God see? You know, whatever those words mean. How does no person see? How does no consciousness? You know, I mean, it's interesting because uh, in the seven steps to awakening, they often call the supreme state consciousness. Um, but consciousness has multiple definitions. And a part of consciousness that we all experience is also called perception, right? That's another definition of consciousness, perception, this being conscious of objects. And when Bernadette Roberts talks about uh, awakening beyond consciousness, she's talking about awakening beyond perception. That's what the word consciousness means there. So how does one see when one has awakened beyond consciousness or beyond perception what is that i can only think of one way to find out you know <laughs> and that's just to do my best at you know for lack of better words getting there right getting there uh, mickey's asking this is a good question so i'm going to pause she says back to the student teacher thing don't we sometimes learn better by teaching and the answer is absolutely in fact teaching was my path i think that when we're teaching though and, and i always did this except for a little bit i took a break from being the student and i i said i will be your teacher for a little while and that's when i started teaching gentle healing uh, and also when I was teaching, clarifying the teachings. And then, of course, when that was done, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm going back to being student. But all those other years of teaching, I was teaching, but I still saw myself as the student. In other words, I was teaching in order to learn, not teaching in order to teach. You see the difference? Yeah. So the act of teaching does not mean that you see yourself as the teacher, right? Because that is a way that you clarify you know that is a way that you reach the inner clarity is through teaching but i always saw myself as the student until i took that little break before i retired to do some teaching and then came back to being the student again so how does god see not at all in the way a person sees a person who imagines god's vision is mistaken always let the person go entirely. Be brave enough not to be a person. As God only know how God sees. One of the things I was looking at in my journal this morning, in my old journal that I was reading, it was from a part of it was from a retreat that I attended in La Vida. Uh, Shauna, you'll remember these kinds of retreats. I don't know if George is here. He would remember. It's the retreats that we take when we don't have a curriculum, right? We just, we call it silence and satsang. And we each just spend all day uh, doing meditation, contemplation, whatever we feel to do. And then we come together and we just share, right? So it was that type of retreat, my favorite kind, because uh, I got to be the student. <laughs> um so I was reading one of my journals from one of our silence and satsang retreats. And, uh, and I was writing, I was trying to come up with all of my current obstacles at that time, all of my current obstacles to moving forward to the next level. That's, that was my goal on that retreat. And on this particular day, On this particular day, one of the obstacles that I came up with was being attached to the familiar. And so I decided to look at that a little deeper. And I was looking at how am I attached to the familiar? And the most prominent way, there were other ways, but the most prominent way that I found 
that I was attached to the familiar was being attached to my own ideas. You know, so like uh, if if Shauna and I are in a meeting with Kevin and and I throw an idea out on the table, like last night we were talking about parking. We have a parking problem in our condos, so parking. So I throw out an idea about parking. Being attached to my own idea is how I'm attached to the familiar. When I was reading that again this morning, I thought that's, you know, that's still something that needs to be watched very carefully. You know, I'm I'm building a house with Ron. We're picking out furniture. You know, when am I attached to my ideas about what furniture would look good in the living room? You know, every time I'm attached to my ideas, I'm attached to the familiar. The familiar here being, let's be clear, the ego as self. So we're not just talking about the wrong mind. You know, the wrong mind, for the most part, is something that, you know, other than an occasional shortly lived blip, I, I let go a long time ago. It's, it's in my rearview mirror as a way of life. And I think anybody who knows me well knows that's true. But being attacked, the wrong mind is only part of the ego. <laughs> the part that makes us suffer, yes. <laughs> you know, but, but only part of the ego. And this is why true perception or the real world is still the dream. Because the ego is still here just as this familiar self, even if it's completely purified, right? So, you know, I was just making note this morning as I was reading my journal that, you know, I really need to pay attention to when I slip into an attachment to my, my own idea. It doesn't mean ideas aren't going to come. It doesn't mean ideas aren't going to be shared. You know, I'm not going to sit in a discussion with Shauna and Kevin about the condos or set in a discussion with Ron about the house and, and say nothing. That's not what they want from me, right? They want that participation. But when I share an idea, can I let it go as soon as it comes out of my mouth? And if it's adopted, fine. And if it's not adopted, fine, right? Or do I feel, oh, I really need to get them to see my way. I really need to get them to see how, you know, this idea is the best. This, th that chair is the chair we need in the corner in the living room. <laughs> you know? I think I talked a little bit about this last time. In fact, I'll tell you the rest of that story since we're here, at least as far as I know the rest of the story today. Um, Last time I was talking about this gentleman's chest that I liked. Do you, some of y'all remember that? And, and Ron didn't want that. He wanted a chest of drawers. And so I committed to you. We were going to the furniture store and I committed that I was not going to uh, say anything to try and get him to agree to the gentleman's chest. And I kept my commitment, but it was, it was funny because, you know, we were in the store and we were looking at different furniture and he walks up to a gentleman's chest. The one that I wanted is not in the store. Uh, but he walks up to a gentleman's chest and he says, is this the type of furniture that you want? And I said, yes. That's all I said. Yes. And he opened it up and looked at it and he goes, okay, that's, that's not bad. That's okay. <laughs> and that was it. But that's not even the end of the story. The end of the story is, so we picked out the furniture that we wanted. Uh, we came home and we created this on, on this automat on this, uh, graph paper, but not paper. It was on the computer, you know, on this virtual graph paper. We created the size of the room and where the doors are and where the windows are and found out that neither the dresser or the gentleman's chest will fit. Neither one will fit because we have such big windows. <laughs> and so we had to redesign the whole thing anyway. So there will be no gentleman's chest. My underwear will be in a lingerie chest, which is, I think, a perfect place for underwear, don't you? A lingerie chest. So because it's thinner and taller. Uh, but so it's kind of funny how it all happened. But the point being that I, when I said I was letting it go, I let it go. Right? That's what matters. Right? Like I said, my underwear is going to be happy anywhere. Um, so 
uh, again, we're working on being completely obliterated. That's that's what brought up all this talking that I've been doing. I can't be completely obliterated and want Shauna to adopt my ideas about parking at the condos, you see. I can't. Or want Ron to pick a particular furniture for the house. I can't. The ideas can still be shared. The ideas occur, the ideas can be shared, but they have to be let go of as quickly as they're spoken. Otherwise I'm clinging to that familiar. And if I'm clinging to that familiar, it cannot be completely obliterated. This is a process of letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. How do we know how God sees when there's no, no person left? So what is the person? Is it the flesh and blood? No. We mistake the flesh and blood for the person, but that's a mistake. The person is ideas. Attachment to ideas. So what are we doing? We're letting go of ideas. That's what we're doing. We're letting go of ideas not being attached. Another thing that I've, <laughs> I probably go on and on and on about what I've been contemplating lately, because as you know, I've been contemplating a lot. <laughs> but another thing that I contemplated a week or so ago, it just kind of hit me in a way that it's never hit me before. And I sat there looking at it, were the words point of view. I mean, I've heard point of view all my life, right? So have you guys point of view, but suddenly it just hit me. That's a point of you coming from here this is the point right i can't be a point of view or have a point of view and not be this point also you see how that word just perfectly describes the mistake the word describes the mistake oh my god i never noticed that before <laughs> it's perfect if I have a point of view, I must be a point. Can you guys see it? So. How does God see? Not at all in the way a person sees. That's what's really important there. Not at all in the way a person sees. A person who imagines God's vision is mistaken always. Let the person go entirely, or as we said in the last quote, be completely obliterated. Let the person go entirely, including which chair we should have in the living room in the corner. Be brave enough not to be a person. This is, ah, this is where we got to be brave because we're letting go of attachment to my ideas. You guys have no idea how much bravery that takes. Be brave enough not to be a person. As God only know how God sees. That's how we do it. As God only then we know how God sees, not until then. That was another thing I think I heard Dave Godman saying. I also listened to Ramana Maharshi. Uh, so it could have been Ramana Maharshi saying it. But um, I think it was Ramana Maharshi saying it. Someone asked Ramana Maharshi about progress. You know, how do you know that you're making progress? And first, Ramana Maharshi, answered him uh, and basically you know that you're making progress by believing fewer thoughts you know that that is progress you know if, if these thoughts are arising but you're not believing them you're making progress but then Ramana Maharshi said uh, but to the self there's no such thing as progress <laughs> he said it, basically what he said is it's either dark or it's light right there's no such thing as progress. So, 
so within the darkness, we appear to be making progress is really what he's saying. <laughs> but we're still in the dark. Again, that's back to the non-awake theme, huh? In the darkness, we appear to be making some progress. And he and he conceded to that. You know, that was good to see that, right? But it's not really progress. Because as long as there's some person here, we still cannot see the self at all. So to the self, there is no progress because until the person is dropped and the self rises, we're still in the darkness. Which again is seems to be the theme of the day. You know, these, these people who want to declare themselves awake when actually, I think they actually still had very strong wrong minds, right? This is a mistake. And any of us who want to know whatever these masters are talking about as a direct experience, we can't make these same mistakes. Even if something else my inner guide reminded me of this morning for some reason, I'd have to go back and read the journal to see why. But the inner guide reminded me that I committed to walk this path alone. Right. We all have to make that commitment. Because, you know, even though there are people around, maybe mighty companions, all of that, when it comes right down to it, the letting go that is happening, the sincerity that is happening, the honesty that is happening, I'm doing by myself. Right. It has to be alone. And that crossing over the threshold, whatever that threshold is, that absolutely has to be alone. Right? So again, I was reminded this morning that I had committed to doing this alone. So why don't we move on? I feel done with whatever I was saying. The next one I have is 198. Oh, we are almost done with step one. We're getting close. We're not there yet, but we're getting very close. 198, the hallmark of enlightenment is cessation of craving. When the latter is absent, there is no enlightenment, but scholasticity, you know, you know, smart stuff, right? Being a scholar. <laughs> I can't say that word, but being a scholar. There is no enlightenment, but scholasticity, which is in fact ignorance or viciousness. So, you know, you just know stuff, but you're not enlightened if you're still craving. Now, what is this talking about? Craving chocolate, craving sex, craving attention, craving um, experience, I think. experience, outward attention, craving experience. In fact, um, this is why I was reminded that I had committed to walking the path alone. There are a few people, none of which are in awakening together. So None of you need to think, is she talking about me? <laughs> I'll just say that right up front, because often after I teach, I get these little emails. Were you talking about me? <laughs> so I'm not. <laughs> um, but there are, you know, I, I, I do talk to other people. Um, but I got a wonderful email today from, from someone who is a past awakening partner of mine. I used to have these two people when I was in finders, there were these two people that I really got with a lot, two young men. Um, that's where I used to do the, um, uh, the out loud looking at awareness practice with them, which you guys did here in the sanctuary for a while. And I, I heard from one of them today. So that was really fun, but I do sometimes join with other people for different reasons. So there's some people that I had recently joined with and, uh, what I came to see is that they are still focused very much 
on what you might call spiritual experiences. Some of them I wouldn't even call spiritual. Um, but I was writing today about uh, my boredom and being with this group that is only interested in spiritual experiences when I am not. And this is when I was reminded that I committed to walking this path alone. And it said something like, so why, you know, I don't remember exactly what it said, you know, so why are you complaining about being alone or something? I don't remember what it said. Probably hard, hard to find too. Uh, oh, here it is. Without reading details that I don't want to share on YouTube. Um, oh, I said that I was feeling sad. And then I let the ego talk. And I named this part of the ego feeling sorry for myself. So I says, feeling sorry for myself says, uh, oh, that's not important. Again, there are details I don't want to share because I never want to say anything about other people. But um, it, part of the guidance that came was you have agreed to walk this path alone. And so if you find yourself doing that, you should not be surprised. That's what it said. I'm glad I went back and read it. You have agreed to walk this path alone. And so if you find yourself doing that, you should not be surprised. And then I was guided to listen to um, a particular audio, a Ramana Surrender audio. Um, which I've listened to about four or five times. So, and it will continue to listen to. Um, so again, when I read 198, it says the hallmark of enlightenment is cessation of craving. So this isn't craving for chocolate, although that could be included or craving for sex, although that could be included or craving for, it's craving for experience at all, craving for outward experience. And um, although clearly I still have experiences, uh, I don't crave experiences like I once did. You know, I used to crave experiences. I craved going to La Vida. I craved going to the top of the West Peak. I craved, you know, like I wanted to fill myself up with these experiences. And somewhere in the last couple of years, I don't know exactly when, that has kind of fallen away so that these experiences may still happen. I may be going to La Vida this weekend. They still happen, but um, it's not what's important. What's important is that time that I get to go in. And I think I wanted to join with people who had that same desire in order to um, further that desire, right? Uh, like get support in increasing that desire. And I was disappointed and clearly bored and eventually sad because the people that I joined with and have committed to for a certain period of time do not seem to share that interest in in. And so again, the guidance was, well, you said you'd do it alone. You should not be surprised. You should not be surprised. So the hallmark of enlightenment is the cessation of craving. When the latter is absent, there is no enlightenment, but there is this scholarliness, which is in fact ignorance or viciousness. So that's the quote. Let's go see what happened in my journal. The seeing that is God's has no desire in it. When there is desire in the seeing, the seeing is human. Very simple. The seeing that is God's has no desire in it. 
when there is desire in the seeing, the seeing is human. And I will go in a minute and grab that audio that I've listened to four or five times and share it with you in case anyone else wants to listen to it. It's around 30 minutes long. Um, it's from that book that uh, Lena is sharing from now called Be As You Are. It's a chapter in that book. It's the audio book. Um, but it, in this audio, Ramana uh, is very, 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 very clear over and over again that true surrender has no desire in it. You know, this says God's seeing has no desire in it. But Ramana says true surrender has no desire in it. It's funny because there's, you know, they have this question and answer thing going on in the audio and somebody is asking this question about you know, well, we surrender, but we still don't get an answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, it's kind of like saying, well, I'm surrendering, but God still hasn't told me how to get more money. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what people think surrender is. Surrender to God and let God figure out how I'll get the money I need. Uh, Ramana is like, surrender, you surrender and then you have no desire. And you can see, although again, people don't love this, I apologize for talking about things that people don't love. But you can see how if God has no desire in it, how no desire is a path to God. Does that make sense? It does if you really look at it. Just like point of view has the mistake right in the words. You know, it's the same kind of thing. If God has no desire in it, then no desire is a path to God. Right? It's, it makes sense if you just look at it. So, uh, like I said, when I, I, I will go ahead and just do it now. If you guys don't mind me taking a short, short, you know, skip over to a YouTube break, I'll go over and I'll get that for you. It'll only take me a second because I've listened to it over and over and over again. It'll pop right up. Um, Ramana. Oh, see, I didn't even have to type the word Ramana Maharshi surrender. I clicked and the words were right there. That's how much I've been listening. And let me get that link for you. And I will put it in the room for anybody who's listening to the audio. Well, let me just show it to you. I can share my screen and that way you can see it. And then you can go find it on your own if you're watching this on YouTube or something. Um, but if you're listening to the audio, uh, it's called Surrender Ramana Maharshi be as you are and that if you just search for that you should be able to find it it's spoken by clay c-l-a-y and then i don't know how to pronounce the last name loma kayu maybe but it's spelt l-o-m-a-k-a-y-u so surrender ramana maharshi be as you are uh, spoken by clay Loma Caillou. And I'll stop the share and I'll put the link in the room. Oops, I think I will. I think I will. Okay, so I won't. Let me try it again. I guess that didn't copy. Um, copy video URL. Come back here. Give this to you guys. And you, anyone else who wants to, even though I committed to walking this path alone, anybody else who wants to listen to this audio over and over again while I'm doing the same thing, please do. Um, very great, great clarity on what surrender is if the purpose of surrender is self-realization. So the scene that is God's has no desire in it. And again, what, what I was contemplating was talking about how the hallmark of enlightenment is the cessation of craving. The scene that is God's has no desire in it. When there is desire in the seeing, the seeing is human, right? It's the human that wants to surrender so that God will tell me how to get enough money, right? I mean, clearly that's the human. Do you agree? If we're, if we're talking about awakening beyond that, then we need something beyond that. Beyond desire is no desire. Of course, with the exception of the yearning for awakening itself that which gets you to 
wake up every day and want to contemplate and want to meditate, right? That's the one desire that moves in the correct direction. Two oh three, then, and guess what we're doing with two oh three? Oh no, we're still in step one. <laughs> I keep making that mistake. We have two pages left, though, but we're almost done with step one. I I do still like you know saying check. Let's go on to the next one. That's that's a part of my personality. So we're almost to the check, but we're not there yet. So two oh three says, when the scholar does not overcome his sense of I am this in the body and its faculties. There is no liberation for him, however much he may be learned in religion and philosophy. Again, we got the same topic coming up over and over and over and over again. If in any way you still think you're the person, you're not awake, right? In any way. You know, something else Ramana Maharshi talks about, and I believe it's in the self-inquiry audio, also from Be As You Are. He talks about uh, how every thought he uses the word destroyed. We could call it let go. How every thought has to be destroyed. And if there are any thoughts left, the ego is still there. I was talking to Jacqueline about this in a meeting I had with her last week. I was telling her how I had been uh, uh, studying the timer for an hour and just letting the ego talk. And I did that four or five times. I think last time I was with y'all, I'd done it for the first time, did it a few more times since then. And what was really interesting to me about the ego is it hasn't changed at all. Not from way back in 2004 when I started this path and very first started looking at it and was suffering with you know self-hatred and guilt and unworthiness and rage and everything else that I was suffering with. The ego hasn't changed at all. The only thing that's changed is my not believing it. But when I let the ego talk, when I say, go ahead, you have the floor. It's the same old crap. Completely. And what I also saw as I looked at it, and I think I used actually the gentleman's chest as an example when I was talking to her. I said, every single egoic thought, every single little thought has all of the ego in it. Every, every thought. So, you know, I don't know that this is even possible, but let's pretend like there's exactly 10 million ego thoughts in the mind and you obliterate 999,999999999. You leave one, right? <laughs> Whatever that is, you leave one. That one thought has all of the ego in it. This is Ramon Maharshi's teaching as well, but this I saw for myself in the last two weeks while doing this work. So if I start thinking about the gentleman's chest and start thinking, I really want that chest, if that's the only thought in my mind, as I go into that thought, do you know what happens? I enliven the entire ego. It's every bit of it is an every egoic thought. And the ego never changes. So let's see, we're on 203. This says, while the scholar does not overcome his sense of I am this in the body and its faculties, there is no liberation for him, however much he may be learned in religion and philosophy. What Ramana Maharshi says, and the point that I'm making from my own scene in the last two weeks, is as long as there's one egoic thought left in the mind the entire ego still exists and it can be revived at any time with your attention and belief now this may sound frustrating to some but it's exciting to me why is this exciting to me because i do not like to fool myself and we all have been aware to some degree of people often teachers who seem to go very, very far on this spiritual path. And then it's like something went wrong, right? They started having sex with their followers or they became interested in how many people were in the audience or something seemed to go wrong. And then 
And then if you watch them long enough, they seem to get more and more egoic, more and more controlling. What happened? They got interested in one thought. That's what happened. They got interested in one thought, you know, power, ego, number of followers, whatever. It only took one thought to bring them all the way back into the ego because the entire ego is in every egoic thought. That's exciting to know, don't you think? So you don't make the same mistake. Those who have made the mistakes before are doing us a favor, right? They're our teachers. They're doing us a favor. So, you know, so let's, let's just see what I got to since we're almost out of time. Oh, we are out of time. You know what? I will start with this same one next week. How does that sound? That's 203. We'll start with 203. We'll read it again and we'll start there. I love you guys. Bye.